all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. Welcome to Springs of Living Water with Pastors Ray and Jan Greenlee. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Romans eight twenty six and 27 Pilgrim's Progress was written from prison in 1675 by John Bunyan. He was a pastor who worked outside the established church. For this crime, he suffered 12 years in prison. While there, he wrote the story of Christian's spiritual journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. We want to share with you their painful journey through the town of Vanity Fair. It's a place that seems pleasant at first, like a picture that looks better from far away than close up. But it's also a place of murder and falseness, of cruelty and deceit, a place where all manner of things are sold for profit, including men, women, and children. It's a place of dreams turned to nightmares. There's no good in it. The story we want to share with you today is retold by Gary Schmidt. Here is the story of Christian with his dear friend Faithful as they take the hard but right way through Vanity Fair. Together, Christian and Faithful walked out of the wilderness and crossed the plain to Vanity Fair. They heard what was going on long before they saw anything of the streets of that town There was such yammering and jammering and shouting and and calling and just plain noise that faithful and Christian could hardly talk to each other. Shoulder to shoulder, they walked into the town, and immediately a crowd of vendors started to call to them. Some of them, it seemed to Christian, had voices that sounded like Apollyon's. The goods in the stalls looked bright and new, But when Christian looked closer, he saw that the gold on the jewelry was really cheap paint, and the precious stones only colored glass. The fruit was rotten. The jugglers and clowns were really pickpockets. The vendors were selling anything they could. They would have sold their souls if they could have laid their hands upon them. Christian and Faithful tried to pass on through. But soon such a hubbub rose around them that they became the center of the crowd. Their clothes were different from the ragged costumes of the townspeople of Vanity Fair, and they spoke much more softly and gently, so that soon even the children of Vanity Fair were laughing and pointing at them. 
but even so they might have escaped, except that the merchants noticed that they were not buying anything. What will you buy? one called. See the pretty babbles, cried a woman, holding up enormous earrings against her rouged cheeks. This document, good sir, will get you into the celestial city itself, claimed another. Finally, a burly square merchant blocked their path, and as the townspeople encircled them, he pointed a square finger. What will you buy? he demanded. The truth, Christian answered softly. We will have none of that. There is nothing in this whole world that cannot be bought in this city. Now, what will you buy? The truth, Faithful repeated. While some laughed at the strange answers, the merchants grew angry, and soon their anger spread to others, so that Christian and Faithful found themselves facing a mob. If the mayor of the town had not sent his soldiers to arrest the two of them right then, the townspeople might have torn up cobblestones from the streets to fling at them. As it was, the crowd followed them to the mayor's house. Many squeezed inside and watched, muttering as Christian and faithful were examined. The mayor was a fat fellow dressed in bright yellow. He oozed into his gold-plated chair and sucked the grease from his lunch off fat fingers. Who are you? Two pilgrims on the way to the celestial city. Is it your habit to cause riots wherever you go? No, answered Christian. And yet you have chosen to do so here? At this the merchants shouted in agreement. They would not buy any of our wares, accused one loudly. The mayor leaned forward in his chair. You would not buy, he asked. No, nothing at all. We would buy nothing but the truth. What is the truth? asked the mayor, but he would not stay for an answer. He turned to one of his soldiers, whispered a command, and then stood up to make his official pronouncement. We find these two to be nothing but madmen. For their own protection and for our amusement, we judge that they should be put in a cage and kept in the town square until such time as we have judged what to do with them. Christian's armor and sword were torn from him, and he and Faithful were set in a cage. For three days the townspeople of Vanity Fair laughed at them, spit at them, threw rotten vegetables at them, and competed to see who could be the most vile to them. All this time, however, Christian and Faithful remained calm, quietly encouraging one another. When the people screamed at them, they sang hymns. When they demanded why the two would not buy anything, Christian and Faithful replied that the town's wares belonged to Apollyon and his kind. When the people threatened them with a mayor's anger, they answered that their lives were in the hands of the one true owner of that land. Their quiet answers convinced some in Vanity Fair that faithful and Christian were guiltless and that they should be freed and sent on their way. 
There are some of us here who trade at this fair, called one of the men, who deserve to be in the cage more than these two. The merchants were not pleased with this. Are you suggesting, sir, one answered, that our wares are not fit to be bought? Not by any honest man. Scoundrel, thief, liar. And soon there was another riot in Vanity Fair, this time right in front of the cage that held Christian and Faithful. The mayor's soldiers came again to bring the two prisoners in front of the mayor. They had to wait some time in front of his house. It was only noon, and he had not yet risen from bed. When he did appear, his eyes were red and blurry, and he yawned heavily. So, my lunatic friends, you are not content with only one riot. Christian and Faithful did not answer. If you will cause such mischief even from within a cage, what shall we do with you? No answer. The mayor grew angry. He still had not had his breakfast. If that cage will not keep you quiet, then we will see what the grave will do to trial. At the command, the soldiers chained the arms and legs of the two prisoners and made them shuffle along until they reached the courthouse. Before they arrived, the merchants had pushed in ahead and filled the courtroom so that those who supported Christian and Faithful could not enter. The mayor had come in and put on a great white wig. Christian and Faithful were tied to seats directly in front of him, but he would not look at them. My lord, hate good, said the mayor, addressing the prosecutor. Please remember in your prosecution of this case that we have yet to dine this morning. Shall we keep these proceedings brief? Yes, my lord. Hate good was a a thin, yellowish man dressed in black. He had long, thin fingers that he clasped and unclasped in front of him, and dead eyes that looked as though they had no sight in them. Call your first witness. I call Envy. Envy sidled up to the witness stand. You've known these prisoners, asked Lord Hategood, for quite a long time, my lord, especially this faithful. And you knew them to be enemies of Vanity Fair? Dreadful enemies, my lord. How have they shown this? Lord Hategood leered at the prisoners. My lord, since his youth, faithful has condemned the religion of our town, saying that Apollyon and his master were hateful. At this, Lord Hategood shook his head. Is there anything further? I have much more to say, replied Envy, but I do not wish to keep the court too long. Is it not enough that these men were being punished for causing riots in the street? They spent their time singing idle songs. All the merchants nodded their agreement, and Envy stepped down. Next, superstition was called. He was an old, old man who was so hunched over that he could only look sideways. Do you know these men? asked Lord Hategood. I do not know them, my lord, nor do I wish to know such men. This faithful is a persistent fellow. I heard him say that our love of Apollyon and our desire to follow and please him were unnatural and evil. Do you deny this? asked the mayor of faithful. I do not deny it. Then you stand condemned by your own admission.
My lord, said Hategood, bowing slightly toward the mayor, I have one more witness to call before you pass sentence. Be quick, then. Yes, my lord. I call ingratitude. Ingratitude was a young, lusty man with thick black curls. He held his head high in the air, perhaps to keep his nose above the cloud of perfume that adorned him. He spoke to no one less worthy than he, and so he spoke only to the mayor. My lord, I have little to add. We have all heard these two, especially this faithful, speak against our lord Apollyon. To this might be added the horrible arrogance of these men. I have heard the one called Faithful claim that his life was not in your lordship's hands at all. He believes you have no power over him. The mayor was now so angry he could barely speak. He looked at Faithful and through clenched teeth he said, So that all may know our gentleness to you, you may speak before we pass sentence. What can I say that will have any meaning to you? The Lord have mercy on my soul, answered Faithful. May he indeed have mercy, for we will have none, sneered the mayor. To be proper, we shall first hear from the jury. He turned to them. What say you of this Faithful? I hate his looks cried Mr. Malice, pointing at Faithful. Away with him! Yes, away with him, agreed Mr. Live Loose. He will always be condemning the way I live. Mr. High Mind called him a sorry scrub, and Mr. Cruelty suggested that hanging would be too good for him. The foreman of the jury, Mr. Blind Man, concluded that Faithful was guilty, and we urge your lordship to deal severely with this faithful. At this the merchants roared, but the mayor silenced them with one upraised hand. So we shall. The mayor stood up. Faithful, we condemn you to instant and immediate execution. The soldiers rushed at faithful unbound him from his chair and pushed him out of the courthouse, the crowd following, jeering and laughing and singing. They had forgotten Christian, still bound to his chair in the courtroom. He had not been able to say anything to Faithful over the noise of the court. He strained at the cords binding him so that he might at least get to the window that overlooked the town square, but he could only just see the sky, which had suddenly become overcast with dark clouds. The crowd out in the square grew louder, and then suddenly it was very, very still. A minute went by, two minutes, and then the crowd roared again louder than before. Christian wept, and then he could not be sure since tears filled his eyes. It seemed that a tremendous light filled the window, and Christian thought he saw two horses and a chariot of fire winged down from the clouds toward the square. When it came up again, Faithful was inside. He looked different. He seemed dressed in light. To the sound of glad trumpets, the horses 
stampeded up into the sky. The dark clouds parted and they were gone. Suddenly the doors to the courtroom opened and Christian looked around. He was sure that it was the merchants returning, but instead it was a youth, one of those who had tried to protect him while he was in the cage. He carried a sack beneath one arm and came quickly across the courtroom, unbound Christian and helped him up. Make haste, he whispered. Though there are some of us that would help you, there are more of the merchants who wish to kill you as they have killed your friend. But faithful is not dead, replied Christian. I know that now, he answered. I am hopeful and I want to be your companion on your journey. He handed him the sack. Here is your armor and sword. Christian smiled and leaning against Hopeful, his legs still strained from the ropes that had bound him, Christian escaped from Vanity Fair. The path ahead of them was straight and true, and for a time Christian and Hopeful traveled along as fast as they could. The trial had taken most of the early afternoon, and after three hours of walking, both pilgrims were tired. They sat down under a spreading oak tree to eat a cold supper that Hopeful had hastily put together before they left Vanity Fair. As they were eating, a man came up the path toward them. Well met, called the traveler. Well met, they replied. Come share our supper. With a good will, said the man, and he too sat down. He was a well-dressed man of pleasant appearance. His smile was broad, though it never changed. What is your name? asked Christian. Oh, I am a stranger to you both, and you to me. But if you're going to go along this path, I'll be glad to be company. If not, then I must be content. Hopeful leaned over and whispered to Christian, He seems to be such a fair gentleman. Shall we ask him to join us? One moment, answered Christian. I have seen many along this path who have seemed to be fair gentlemen and who later turned out to be something quite different. He turned to the stranger. Are you from these parts? No, I'm from the town of Fair Speech, and my family is old in that town. Perhaps you've heard of them, Mr. Smooth Man, Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Two Tongues. Oh, I've heard of them, answered Christian. Then you know our motto, never strive against wind or tide. What does that mean? asked Hopeful. It means, my young friend, that we should always try to get along and that we should never disagree with others. But suppose, asked Hopeful, that the others are wrong. It would be good to bear in mind that there are always two sides to every question, Perhaps no one is ever completely wrong. Oh, now I do know you, said Christian. You are Mr. By Ends, who never holds any opinion or any belief that is not acceptable to anyone else. It is not a name I like, but one given to me by malicious persons. But it is a name that fits. If you wish, Mr. By Ends replied, if you are to be our companion on this path, you must go against wind and tide. But 
and take the hard but right way to come to the celestial city. Mr. Byan stood up and stepped back from them. I see that if I were to go with you, you would not allow me any liberty. So with your leave, I shall wait for more agreeable companions. With that, he left them and sat down by the side of the path. Christian and Hopeful finished their supper and headed down the path. There were still some three hours of daylight left, and they hoped to walk four or five miles further. When they reached a turn in the path, they looked back to see whether Mr. Byans had followed, but they saw instead that he was talking with three new companions. Hopeful recognized them. They were from Vanity Fair, and their names were Mr. Moneylove, Mr. Lovegain, and Mr. Coveting. As Christian and Hopeful watched, they each bowed to one another and clapped each other on the shoulders. Mr. Byans pointed up the path at Christian and Hopeful and said something to his new friends. They all began laughing and then turned and walked down the path. Christian and Hopeful went on trying to keep their distance, though it seemed as if the others were trying to catch up. But Christian and Hopeful were themselves moving quickly. They crossed a narrow plain called Ease, and as the light began to fade, they arrived at a small hill. At the bottom of the hill stood a crooked old man named Luce. "'Today is a lucky day for you,' he called. "'I have just discovered a silver mine in that hill, "'and if you will come with me now for only a little digging, "'you will soon be wealthy beyond your imagination.' "'Oh, let us go see,' said Hopeful, taking a step off the path. "'No,' said Christian, pulling him back. "'Nothing must turn us from the path.' "'Beyond belief!' "'Christian looked up at the top of the hill "'and at the opening of the mine. "'That looks like a dangerous place.' "'No, no,' answered Luce. "'Only to those who are careless.' "'Then we shall not be careless,' said Christian, "'and he and Hopeful walked on. "'They did not know, though they might have guessed, "'that Mr. Byans and his companions "'did not hesitate to leave the path.' They climbed up to the mine's opening and peered in, but the ground beneath them gave way, and they tumbled down into the mine. No one ever saw them again. Christian and Hopeful were cheerful as they walked on, and perhaps rather proud of having held off against Luce's temptation. But if they were proud, they were brought up short by a statue carved in white stone. It was of a woman looking back over her shoulder. The writing on it was worn. Can you read it? asked Hopeful. Christian nodded. Remember Lot's wife? He paused and then said thoughtfully, She too escaped one temptation, only to be destroyed by the next. Perhaps, said Hopeful, this statue is meant to be a sign from the owner. If so, it is a fearsome sign, replied Christian. We must be on our guard. And so with singing and great joy, they came to the end of the path and found what they had least expected. The path ended abruptly in a deep and dark river that flowed swiftly. They called across to two shining ones. Is there no way across? There is no bridge, the shining one answered. 
Is there no other way? None for you. You must go through the waters or you cannot come to the gate. Christian and Hopeful walked down to the water that swirled against the bank. Is it deep? Christian called to the shining ones. They shrugged. You shall find it deep or shallow, depending on how firmly you believe in the owner of this place. Then the two shining ones vanished. A look of determination filled Christian's face as he and Hopeful stepped into the waters. At first he kept his eyes on the gates of the celestial city, and the bottom of the river seemed firm. His feet were hardly wet. But then he looked down to the water, and suddenly he remembered Apollyon's charge that he had been disloyal to Emmanuel. Then the river seemed to rise up against him in foaming waves, and he felt the bottom slip away. Desperately he looked up to the city, but a mist had come up from the river and hid it from him. "'This is the river of death!' he cried, and then fell under the waters into darkness and horror." Hopeful struggled to pull Christian's head above the water. I shall not see the land of the celestial city, Christian cried. Do not despair, cried Hopeful. I see the gates already and the shining one standing on the shore to receive us. It is only for you that they wait, said Christian. You have been hopeful since I have known you. And you as well, be of great cheer. Remember when I pass through the waters, thou art with me. Thou art with me, repeated Christian. Thou art with me. And as he remembered the owner's promise, the water stilled and the river bottom came back under his feet. The mist cleared and Christian saw the gates of the celestial city again. Together, Christian and Hopeful waded across the rest of the river and reached the shore on the other side. When they came out of the waters, They felt their bodies had changed. They were light and new and strong, and all that was mortal had been washed away in the river. But Christian was not thinking of this. Instead, he and Hopeful and the two shining ones who had again appeared were running up the steep ascent to the celestial city. And though its foundation was above the clouds, they ran with ease and did not grow weary. When they arrived at the gate, the shining ones said to them, Here you will see Emmanuel as he is. The gates, they looked like the shining gate, but higher and brighter opened, and the heavenly host crowded out to meet them, singing songs. And there, waving a a palm and singing louder than all the rest, came faithful. The hosts gathered around them as trumpeters made heaven echo with their glad notes. The bells of the city began to ring, and when Christian and Hopeful reached the gates and held out their rolls, a cry went up so loud and so joyous that it woke despair. So Christian and Hopeful entered the celestial city, and as they walked in, they were changed in the twinkling of an eye. There were crowns on their heads, bright robes on their backs, and new words on their lips. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. I'm Pastor Jan Greenlee. We pray that you've been awakened today by the Holy Spirit to a hunger for Jesus and His holiness. If you need someone to pray with you, call 703-490-8723. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel. 
Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 